Good evening, everybody in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, August 16th, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar, Evening of Solutions for New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans' businesses and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual rights, freedom, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. APP is membership driven with a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. Um, if uh, you're not a member already, we uh, we have APP memberships for one year for $20, two years for 20, or two years for $30, three years for 40, or you can make a donation at albertaprosperityproject.com. We also have APP merchandise such as this APP shirt and hats and assorted trinkets at albertaprosperitystore.com. Due to the new Canadian censorship laws, I'm, I'm unable to show news links in online content. And I have to ask myself, are we really news? Uh, we're not really sure. But we do ask that you share, share, share. So tonight is a bit of an odd night. Uh, unfortunately, due to this amazing summer weather we've been having and everyone being busy doing summer things, we don't officially have a guest tonight. So instead, I thought we would do a rebroadcast of our interim CEO, Christopher Scott, and his testimony at the National Citizens Inquiry in Red Deer, Alberta on May 28th, 2023. A lot of people have uh, maybe seen snippets of that, but they have not seen uh, his entire testimony. So even though this is a rebroadcast, I'll still be working behind the scenes. So if you want to make comments or ask questions, please do so. Just put three question marks before your question so it'll be flagged and I can quickly view them. And uh, if it's relevant at the time, I can even post the, uh, the comment up while we're watching the video. And with that, I will start the uh, National Citizens Inquiry now, which begins with lawyer Sean Buckley leading the proceedings. I hope you enjoy it as much as you can possibly enjoy. Um, Chris, can you come and take the stand for us this morning? Oh, he's there. I, just so those online uh, know where I'm standing, I can hardly see the witness. You see a little tuft of hair there. Chris, can you please state your full name for the record, spelling your first and last name? Yeah, Christopher James Scott, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R, J-A-M-E-S-S-C-O-T-T. And Chris, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Now, as I understand it, you are the owner of the Whistle Stop Cafe. That's correct. And uh, what town is that in? It and and how? What's the population of this town? Uh, the Whistle Stop Cafe is in Mirror, Alberta, with a population of uh, last census five hundred and two, but I think we're about five hundred and twenty now. Okay, it's growing. Growing like so, a weed. Okay. Now, <clears throat> when COVID hit and the lockdown started, my understanding is is you had you had only owned this cafe for six months. That's correct. Uh, I spent the previous close to 20 years in the energy industry as uh, an oil field worker, and I decided that due to constant government interference in my industry, I was better off doing something like owning a restaurant where the government wouldn't abuse me as they had in the energy industry. And uh, just so you guys know, there's some foreshadowing going on here. So tell us, did that work? Were you able to avoid um, bureaucratic interference? 
in your business life? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, uh, it put me on a collision course to meet the biggest bully I've ever faced. Okay. Now, my, my understanding is, is when they first locked us down and told businesses um, to close, like restaurants, that you actually did comply and you did close the Whistle Stop Cafe. I did. Uh, we, we complied with all the, the rules. Well, I mean, for the most part. Uh, we, we, we went along to get along uh, with the attitude that, you know, it's not going to be forever, we'll just get through it, and we'll, we'll just comply even though we knew it was wrong. Now, um, while locked down, like while we had these restrictions, my understanding is, is that you started hearing stories in the community that mental health issues were on the rise, and um, you just made a personal decision that um, you should try and find something to do to help. And can you share with us what you did to try and kind of help the community that was suffering um, mentally because of the lockdowns and other conditions on us? Of course. So one of the blessings and the curse of being uh, the hub of a community is that you hear a lot of stories and people share things with you. And one of the things that we heard uh, very consistently was people were going stir crazy. Families were stuck without anything to do. Like kids weren't doing sports, uh, tensions were high, instances of domestic abuse were on the rise, mental health issues were on the rise, suicides were on the rise. All of the things that don't generally take the spotlight because number one, it's uncomfortable to talk about or look at. And number two, uh, it's just not prioritized in our society to, to deal with those things. But we're hearing them and so I, I was thinking, well, how, how do we do something while following the rules, because nobody wants to get in trouble with the government, right, um, that will help people get out and do something with their family, have some sense of normalcy, uh, and, and, and not get in trouble. So I, I don't know where the idea came from, but I ended up buying an uh, inflatable drive-in movie screen and a projector not much different than the one that's right there, and an FM transmitter. Uh, I set the, 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 the inflatable movie screen on the roof of the Whistle Stop Cafe, and then I invited everybody to come out and follow while following the rules, like park six feet apart and not stand six or closer, you know, follow physical distancing and wear the silly breathing barriers in the whole nine yards. And we, I mean, we had hand sanitizer. Man, we, we had enough hand sanitizer, we could have run a cogen plant on it. And uh, we offered free movies so that families could come out and do something. And the first night that we offered the movie, uh, there was about five or six cars, and I decided to do this five nights a week. We did it Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, and Saturday. The second night, there was 30 cars, and then the next week, there was, there was 100 cars, and it became, it became this tiny little bit of relief in this beautiful province of Alberta where people could come and and be kind of normal and do something so that they could break the monotony of the mandates and restrictions. And uh, it, it was all fine and dandy until we got on the radar of, uh, you know, the, the bureaucracy, and they actually shut us down because they didn't have a specific set of rules for that type of business. Now, my understanding is, is eventually after a, a large amount of bureaucratic effort, they came up with some rules and you were, you were permitted to continue. 
That's correct. We could, we could offer drive-in movie services uh, while following the rules, and, and people did. They were really good about that. I mean, we had lineups outside to come in and get popcorn, and people were actually standing eight feet apart on their own without being asked. So it's not that people didn't want to follow the rules. They just wanted something to do. But right. uh, they, did, they did allow us. Uh, but one of the conditions was nobody was allowed to use the restrooms. Right. Okay. Now, so you're complying. And uh, how is that affecting your business economically? Well, I mean, in a short period of time, just like most other businesses, it took me from a... Uh, you know, a positive cash position to a negative and declining cash position. Okay. Now, you ended up opening on January 24th, 2021. And can you just share for us kind of what things were happening before then that led you to open? Sure. So, uh, as many people will likely remember, uh, the, the election prior to this, we, we elected a government that we had some, we had huge amount of faith in, and the Premier, you know, we thought he was, he was going to come and save us. And it didn't turn out that way. And uh, in December, uh, I watched him actually apologize to businesses for, for choosing which businesses were essential and which were not, basically choosing who lives and who dies in business. And they said they'd never do it again. And I watched our premier say this, and I thought, yes, this is, the, this is the guy that we elected. This is the guy that's going to get Alberta through this. And a few short days later, he returned to TV and said he was now locking us down again and closing businesses again. Uh, but don't worry, because this time it's only going to be 30 days of a two weeks, and then we'll, we'll just get back to normal because we need to protect the health care system. Now that phrase, protect the healthcare system, that struck me as odd right from the beginning because as I looked around at all the healthy people around me, um, protecting the healthcare system seemed like a strange thing to ask for. If we, were, if we wanted to protect people, we should be talking about protecting people's health. We should be encouraging people to focus on their health and, 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 and make sure that they could uh, they could handle sickness by focusing on their health, but it was never about that. It was always about protecting the system, and I had a big problem with that. So the 30 days came and went. Uh, Dina Hinshaw, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, she came on TV and she said, well, you know, we need another week. It's not quite working yet. We need, we need you guys to stay closed for another week. And I was livid. I was livid, and I, and I said to myself, I had said to myself when, when Jason Kenney shut us down again in December, that after this 30 days, I was going to protest this by opening. 30 days came and went, another week came and went, and Dina Hinshaw returned to the airwaves and she said, well, uh, we don't have, we can't let you open yet and we really have no end in sight. And it was at that moment that I realized that, number one, this was not about protecting people's health, this was not about keeping people safe. It was, it was about control, and if it had been about keeping people safe, the level of incompetence from our government to go on the air and say that they had no idea or no plan, that was not okay with me. And at this point, we had heard, I mean, we heard some devastating stories, um, what had happened to people and their families, businesses were being lost, the, the damage was unbelievable. And so I, I decided that I was going to exercise my constitutionally protected charter right to protest. 
And I opened my restaurant in protest of government policies that were not aligned with what our rights as Canadians are. And that happened on January 24th, 2021. That's correct. So what happened after you opened in protest? Well, uh, I got to say, being the only restaurant in Alberta open, uh, you're very busy. So we had, we had a lot of customers. We, we ran out of food consistently. But something else happened. So I opened in protest uh, partly because of what was going on around me and what was happening to other people. But to be perfectly honest, the motivations were more selfish because I was put in a position where I was, it was either fight or flight. I was either going to lose my business or I was going to stand up and do something about it. And so I, I, I did that mostly for myself. I protested mostly for myself. But as people started pouring into the cafe and they saw somebody standing up, they saw somebody protesting these mandates, they started sharing stories with me that uh, it completely changed the way I look at the world, the way I look at the government, and, and the way I looked at myself. I, I, I was forced into a position where I had to start, I had to accept the fact that if we don't stand up and do something and be an example for other people that also need to stand up, nothing will be fixed. It'll never end. And so, you know, the, the authority, of course, tried to, they, they dropped the hammer of God on me. Uh, every agency in the province was on me, um, you know, daily or every other daily visits from the RCMP and from environmental public health inspectors, Constant threats, constant intimidation. Oh, you know, we're, you're going to lose everything. We're going to take your business. We're going to take your food handling permit. You're going to lose your liquor license. You know, you're probably going to lose your, your house. As a matter of fact, the second time the, the chief of police, um, uh, Sergeant Bruce Holliday, the second time he spoke to me, he came with the, with, with the health inspector. And as the health inspectors left Bruce and I to go find some things to, uh, to cite me on, which they didn't, Bruce leaned in close and he said to me, you know, I admire you standing up for yourself and I admire what you're trying to do, but you've already made your point and you should just close and follow the rules because you cannot win against the government. So I just, I just want to make sure that I'm clear. This is the chief of police? Yeah, chief of police. And um, so it would be a, an RCMP officer... Right. And so the officer actually supports ethically what you're doing, um, but is communicating to you that as a citizen of Alberta, you don't have a chance of standing up against the government to, inf you know, to basically have a right to protest. That's right. And, you know, the ironic thing is he was right. Um, a citizen cannot win against the government. I was put in a position where to fight the government and to stand up for my rights and, uh, you know, after realizing what was happening, the rights of people around me, where the, the outlook is grim. I mean, you, you retain a lawyer in this province for something like this and they want $25,000 from you up front before they even do anything. It costs $10,000 to prepare a piece of paper and somebody like me there is no way I don't have a, not a snowball's chance in hell that I could stand up and do that on my own 
But something amazing happened. Um, uh, a lady by the name of Sheila showed up at the Wasstop Cafe, and she's a reporter for Rebel News. And they had a program at the time called Fight the Fines, and they were crowdfunding so that people like me could actually stand up against the government. So with their help, I went from a 100% assured loss to, hey, you know what? We actually have a chance to do something now. Thousands of people, probably millions of people from all over Canada chipped in and they, they stood up and they, and they stood with people like me who were trying to stand up against the government. And all of a sudden, that truth that, that Sergeant Bruce Holliday had said to me, that you can't win against the government, that truth changed to, you can't win against the government, but we can win against the government. If we, if, we, if we stand together and start speaking some truth and we unify around a truth and move towards doing what's right, we can actually win against the government because that's the one thing that stands the test of time is truth. And the truth is that what was done to us was wrong. The bureaucracy that did what they did to us did it in error for whatever reason. It doesn't matter why they did it, but it was, it was an incorrect path. And we're seeing that now. I mean, we've heard testimony from... Everybody from Lieutenant Colonel David Redman, who, who, who wrote the plan to how to deal with this and watched it thrown out the window in, in lieu of uh, uh, following Dina Hinshaw and Cabinet's advice. We heard from him. We've heard from people that have been uh, devastated by this to the point where they've lost family members to suicide because they couldn't see any hope in, in continuing on in this country, in this free country. With free healthcare, where if you have a mental health issue, you should be able to phone a doctor and get some help before you fix it yourself by ending your own life. But we lost those things because the bureaucrats failed to uphold our, our civil liberties, our rights and freedoms that are guaranteed to us under the Constitution. And now as I hear people testifying at the NCI, and I, and I hear, you know, these are stories that I've been hearing for two years as people flooded into the cafe. It, be, it, it wasn't just a cafe and a gas station and a dusty little, little town anymore. It became this place where people, they went to because it was a symbol of freedom and hope because somebody was doing something. Now, um, Chris, it's my understanding that not only people from Alberta came to the Whistle Stop Cafe because it was this signal of hope, it was this little beacon of light in the darkness, but actually people came from other provinces mm -hmm. to the whistle. Can you share with us that? Because that I think it's important to understand that, that just you taking a step created hope. Yeah, we, we've had people all, from all over the country show up there. There was people driving 8 or 12 hours to come and have a burger at the Whistle Stop Cafe because they believed in what we're doing. And it wasn't what I was doing. I mean, this was a this was a conscious, conscious decision that I made after speaking with my family and my friends and my staff. It, it was never just me. This was a, if it was just me, I would have fallen flat on my face a week after it happened. This was a we thing. It was uh, dozens of people, hundreds of people even volunteering to help through the physical parts of it. And, you know, thousands and thousands of people helping with the financial part. It was never a me. It's never, it's never going to be a me. It's, it's a we thing. And that's why I think it's so important that people pay attention to what's going on here. If I can just even focus, because I just think you're saying something here that is tremendously important. And, and before we just kind of move on, because um, you, 
even just going back to, to you buying that inflatable drive-in screen and holding those drive-ins, and you explained how maybe there were five cars the first time and then more and more, and, and all of a sudden it's an event because it gave people something to do and it would have helped with mental health. That was an example, Chris, of, of you doing something, just deciding to do something. Do you see, and, and I'm just making a point of this because you said an example of how you can make a difference. Like it's not just you, but other people could make a difference if you just go, wait a second, we have a problem here. What can I do? And you came up with this creative idea. And you, you pointed out Rebel News that had made this decision. We've got to have crowdfunding so that people have an opportunity to stand together against the government because as you pointed out, it can't be done alone. And <clears throat> I think we're all very proud of Rebel News for doing that, but it, they made that decision to do that. And, and then you and your team made a decision, no, we're going to protest because we have to. And I, you're just giving us examples that I, I'm just emphasizing because small groups of people making decisions make a difference. And I think there will be a lot of people participating in your testimony today that heard about the Whistle Stop Cafe and it gave them a little glimmer of hope that somebody was standing up while the rest of us were all cowering in fear. And so I, I just wanted to emphasize that, that you making a decision, because it's the point you're making now, isn't it? It's, it's just people making a decision can make a difference. Yeah, and you know, as much as it pains me to do so, I can, I can steal a quote from uh, you know, Hillary Clinton and say we're stronger together. And, and, and I'm not talking about what she was talking about. When it comes to stuff like this, we are absolutely stronger together. Right. Now, you said that one person or the police officer told you uh, one person can't stand against the government, and, and you've told us it's true, um, but, you know, we together can stand against the government. Can you share with us um, the efforts that the government went through um, and are still going through because you're not you're still facing um, proceedings. So share with us basically all the steps that the Alberta government um, has taken to close a cafe in Muir, Alberta, a town with you know a little over 500 people. Well, as you mentioned, some of the stuff is currently before the court. So uh, unfortunately, I have to decline to get into specifics. And that is out of respect for the, the proceedings that are that are still going on. But I will say, in a more general uh, a more general statement, that the government and bureaucracy there is no limit to how far they will go to try and crush those who oppose them. Um, I can say that I'm I'm disappointed, and actually I'm disgusted by some of the things that I've seen some of the tools that have been used against me to try and get me to, to stop protesting. Now, do you mind if I go through some of them just to kind of highlight for people? Because I know you don't want to go into details, but a lot of this is, is public. Mm -hmm. um, so um, <clears throat> in addition to, you know, AHS visits and multiple tickets, and how many tickets have you been, or they weren't tickets, you were actually summons to court to face charges. How many times did that happen? Uh, I lost count when I ran out of fingers and toes, but I think it was 23. 
Okay, so 23 separate summonses to attend at court. Um, my understanding is, is that basically they got the liquor licensing authorities involved mm -hmm. and pulled your liquor license. They did, yeah. They got occupational health and safety involved to come and visit you. Yes. They seized liquor. Yeah. They went to um, the person that, that you um, had a contract to allow you to even purchase the restaurant. So they went to a private person to try and get them to, to pull the cafe back from you. They did. So they were trying to involve private sector people. They actually um, seized and chained the doors of the Whistle Stop Cafe to physically take it away from you. Yes, they did. So, I mean, so that's just some of the things. That's not all, but just some of the things. They, they got an injunction against you. Mm -hmm. Can you, it is public. I think you can share with us the terms of the injunction and Jane and, and uh, John Doe. Oh, of course. So the, the, what's commonly known as the Rook Order uh, was an injunction sought by Alberta Health Services against me, Glenn Carrot, uh, the previous owner of the Whistle Stop and the Whistle Stop Corporation, in addition to uh, John and Jane Doe in Alberta. And the Rook Order basically said that uh, it was declared illegal to attend, organize, incite, or promote any illegal gatherings. Right. So, but because John and Jane Doe were included, that applied to every single resident of Alberta. It did, yes. Yeah. And, and that, that part of it was challenged uh, in, in the courts, and it was challenged successfully, and that was removed. But uh, the named individuals were still on there. Now, as a Canadian and as an Albertan, uh, I still believe in the Constitution. I believe in the Charter of Rights. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it was well-intended. And as written, I think it should protect us. And I stood on that. And I, I will always stand on, on the fact that my right to protest is literally my only recourse against government policy that I disagree with, aside from getting into politics and doing it myself. But that's my only recourse. And that should never be taken away from me. So I engaged in a protest. As a matter of fact, I, I advertised it as uh, the biggest protest Alberta's ever seen. It didn't turn out that way because the weather didn't cooperate. But there was a couple thousand people there. And I, w I was arrested and incarcerated for exercising my charter right to protest bad government policy. And my understanding is you spent three days in jail. I spent three days in jail. I was subject to sanctions of $30,000 in fines, uh, 18 months of probation, a compelled speech portion where the, the courts... Uh, uh, they ordered me to, to tell people what the government wanted them to hear before I spoke, and I wasn't allowed to leave the province of Alberta. So I just I want to make sure that people actually understand this compelled speech part of your sentence. So when you're sentenced, in addition to $30,000 and time served, and I also understand you were put on a year and a half of probation, but you were ordered to write text that the court gave you publicly so you were to make a public statement and basically read what the court told you to read. So not only did you not have freedom of speech, you were compelled to give a speech that the court dictated to you. That's correct. Now, 
going forward, and I understand, and you've made clear that there's things you can't talk about because there's still legal proceedings. You're still facing um, other sanctions um, that aren't finished. But going forward, what what could you leave us with as kind of lessons learned, and what we need to do to you know do this better going forward? Well, I see there's 10 minutes and 30 seconds left. I don't think that's enough. But well, I'll do my best. No, and, and uh, I think you've learned watching yesterday that, that our time limits are not hard and fast. And I know the commissioners are going to have questions for you also. Um, so, but you do have some lessons to share with us, and you do have some thoughts. And yes, I, I do. I'm inviting you to share them. I'll try and be uh, quick. So during this little adventure that I've found myself on, uh, it's become necessary for me to read a lot. Uh, it, you know, we, we, we tell each other in the schoolyard when we're kids, when, you know, somebody asks, oh, can I use that or whatever, and we say, oh, it's a free country, isn't it? We're conditioned to believe that we have these rights and freedoms. We're conditioned to believe that our forefathers fought and died for our freedom so that we wouldn't have to. And during this, the course of this adventure, I've realized that that's a lie. Our forefathers didn't fight and die for freedom so that we wouldn't have to. They fought and died for our freedom so that we would have the opportunity to keep them. And that comes with a hefty responsibility. And I learned this as I went through some legislation that was being used to try and stop me from earning a living, from, from exercising my civil liberties, including the right to protest. I learned that there is legislation out there right now, and uh, uh, Jeffrey Rath talked about it yesterday. I think uh, Lieutenant Colonel David Redman, he alluded to a little bit in his testimony. There is legislation out there right now that allows the bureaucrats to strip our rights and freedoms away without justifying that they need to do it. And that's exactly what happened to me. Bureaucrats decided that it was unsafe for me to pour coffee and serve hamburgers in a cafe with a capacity of 40 people that was generally maybe 10 to 15 people in there. They told me that it was unsafe for me to earn a living. And they did that without ever proving or justifying in a court of law or with any scientific uh, evidence presented in our province where this legislation exists. And they used that legislation to strip away my rights. Now, you might think, okay, well, we need that so that if there's a, a, a something that's going to harm the people of Alberta, we can step in and deal with it quickly. And I, I would agree with that. But if you look into legislation like the Public Health Act of Alberta, that is a very, very dangerous piece of legislation. And I'll, I'll explain why better after this. But that legislation says that um, in the, I'm going I'm to paraphrase here, this is the best I can remember. In fulfilling her duties to protect the health of the people of Alberta, the CMOH may at any time, as long as it's in good faith, take any steps necessary to do so, including seizing property, personal or private. That means if the CMOH or anyone acting under her orders to promote the health and safety of the people in Alberta, if they think that your house needs to be seized and used as a vaccination clinic, they can do that. They can do it under the law and you have no recourse except for to pay a lawyer fifty or a hundred thousand dollars and go to court and two or three or ten years down the road prove that they shouldn't have done it. That's what that legislation allows. It's, it's, it's the, the, the wording is very specific in public or private. Your private property is not off limits. As a matter of fact, we saw that during the pandemic. We saw people reporting their neighbors for having their grandkids over for Christmas dinner. 
on private property. We saw police showing up at people's houses and issuing them tickets for having their friends over. And you can, I don't mean to sound crass, but this can go anywhere from having a church service in your house, the police will be involved in that because it applies to private or public, to having a swingers party in your bedroom. The government can literally shut you down for anything that you do in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your church, in your restaurant, in your cafe. Now, even more dangerous than this, now we have a federal government. We have uh, Theresa Tam, the, 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 uh, the top doctor for Canada, alluding to the fact that, that climate change is one of the most serious risks to health. Now, if climate change is a serious risk to health, and our health authority can take any steps necessary, any steps they think is reasonable, as Jeff Rath pointed out yesterday, in order to combat these things for our health, what does that tell you about what the federal government can do going forward? The, the, the federal government has said that, in their opinion, capitalism and liberties need to be dismantled for our health. And there's legislation that allows our provincial governments to do almost anything they want to us in the name of public health. Where does that put us as Canadians? There's another piece of legislation that can be used in the same manner, and Jeff talked about it yesterday, and that's the, uh, the, emerg the, the, the Civil Emergency Measures Act, I think it's called. Our government and our bureaucrats have unlimited power against us. And even worse than that, the, judi the, the judiciary that's supposed to protect us against these things has failed. Because that judiciary defers to those who are doing these things to us as the experts to justify their actions. The onus is on me to prove that my actions were justified in pouring a cup of coffee in my restaurant. And if I can't prove that, if I can't prove my innocence, I'll be fined into oblivion or maybe jailed. Right now we have four men uh, who are jailed. They've been jailed for over 450 days. They haven't had a trial. They haven't had their day in court. They're innocent, and yet they sit in jail because they spoke against the government. They stood up for their rights. They're in jail because bureaucrats have decided that their civil liberties need to be removed to protect the bureaucracy. And this is the free country we live in. This is the free country of Canada where Polish immigrants testify under oath and say that they're thinking of leaving this free country that they fled their home to because they want freedom. Well, I need to ask you folks, where are you going to flee to? Because I've thought about it. Where are we going to go as Canadians in the freest country on earth? Where are we going to go when our freedoms and our liberties and our rights and, and they get stripped away from us to the point where we need to flee to live our lives as we choose? There is nowhere else to go. Not one place on this planet. There might be places warmer where we can escape this for some time, but unfortunately, these things catch up. And, and uh, uh, Sean, he asked how, how George Orwell knew in 1949 how these things were hap would happen, how it could be so prophetic, these books that he wrote. Animal Farm, where the animals looked in the window and they couldn't tell the difference anymore between the pigs and the humans. The bureaucracy, had the, 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 those who were standing up for them became the bureaucracy they're fighting against. How did George Orwell know that? 
George Orwell was a democratic socialist. And he knew where that led because he also liked history. And the one thing I've learned, aside from we don't live in freedom, we're only free when the government says we are, the one thing I've learned is that history will repeat itself over and over and over again. And we are no more enlightened today than we were 5,000 years ago. We still are subject to the same thing. Greed, lust, gluttony, all those things. The same things have been used to control us for thousands of years. And you know what the number one thing is? Fear. Number two is hunger. Civilizations all over the world have fallen to tyranny because of fear and hunger. And that's where we're at right now. I'm hungry for freedom. I'm hungry to live my life as I was intended. I, I, to exercise my God-given rights that no government gives me. And the only thing I fear is the apathy that I see in Canadians and the media, the apathy and the fear that prevents them from taking a stand and doing something to prevent the things that have happened in history from happening again. And that brings up another point. We have to stop looking around and looking for someone to save us. Nobody is coming to save you. I'm not going to save you. Daniel Smith isn't going to save you. No politician is going to save you. The only person that's going to save you is you. So before you start condemning a politician or asking someone to do something for you, you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself what you're willing to do to protect your rights and freedoms. What you're willing to do to ensure that the lives that were lost to gain you the freedom that you have today remains for your kids. What are you willing to do? Are you willing to put $10 in a jar? That's great. Are you willing to put your business on the line? Amazing. Are you willing to support those who are taking a stand so that they can continue to do it? Do it. Do something. Do anything. Because as you heard yesterday from somebody who has lived it, there will come a day. There will come a day when you either look back and you say, I wish I did something, or you look back and you celebrate the decision you made to do the work to ensure that the rights and freedoms that we're born with remain with us and remain with our kids. It's not about a restaurant. It's not about coffee. It's not even about a, a passport to go in a restaurant and have lunch. It's about standing up for what humanity is supposed to be. So we got some pretty difficult choices. And I really hope that this, this inquiry, I really hope that people pay attention to it and, and they start to think about these things because, you know, with what we hear coming from the federal government right now and knowing what legislation is there that can be used to accomplish what they want to do, I really think we're in the end game. I think um, I think those are very apposite words that you're sharing with us. I'm going to ask the commissioners if they have any questions of you. Good morning. Morning. Can you tell me how you were treated by the mainstream media or the government media in Canada? Did you get a fair and balanced? analysis of what you were doing? Early on, I would say 
that it was more balanced and fair than I anticipated. But after a little while, I mean, they're like a pack of wild dogs and they feed off each other. So I'm a rebel and a scofflaw. This is sarcasm, by the way. I've been called a rebel and a scofflaw and an anti-vaxxer and an anti-masker. And the media has framed me as someone that just doesn't care about the rules. They've made the public believe that, oh, well, I wouldn't force people to uh, provide papers to eat a hamburger, so obviously I must allow rats in the kitchen. Well, sorry, folks, but the only rats in Alberta are the ones that called their neighbor, that called the cops on their neighbors over Christmas. You know, like the media was... There are some good folks in the media. Even there's a CTV news reporter that I, I actually would call a friend. And he's on side about a lot of this stuff. But unfortunately, speaking up and doing the right thing in those institutions is a, it's a death sentence for your career. So we can't count on them. How were you treated by the alternative media in Canada? Better. Much better. Much better. Um, Sheila Gunn-Reed spent, what, a week at the Whistlestop Cafe sitting on the floor doing the rest of her work in the corner while the police badgered people. And... You know, now looking back, I don't know if it was because of the fight or the burgers, because the burgers would be worth sitting on the floor for five days. But, uh, you know, the, 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 I'm not even going to call them the alternative media. I'm just going to call them the new media. Um, they have been very good at uh, actually telling the truth of what people like me are doing uh, where, where no other media would. Mr. Buckley made an announcement this morning in his opening remarks about the passage of Bill C-11, which is our amendments to the Broadcasting Act. Do you have any comments about how that, those changes may affect your ability to access the new media, in your words? Uh, well, it, this is one of the things where, where time will tell. I mean, they say that they're not going to use this piece of legislation to, uh, to, to silence media, but I, I don't believe it for one second. I mean, all you've got to do is turn on the radio and you hear the, the, the woke mob saying whatever they want, but you don't hear any conservative voices. And it's not supposed to be that way. This, the, the legislation was supposed to protect Canadian content. And I was taught that as a kid. I remember going through that part of uh, class and learning about how um, Canada protects Canadian music and the CRTC is so great and all this, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, I, I think it, it might prove to make it more difficult to access that online. But one thing people have to remember is online isn't the only thing we have. The one thing that we lost over the last three years is the, uh, the, the ability to gather in peaceful assembly. We still have that ability. And Bill C-11 may just mean that we have to do more things like hold more events and have more backyard barbecues and get rid of that silly idea that it's impolite to talk about politics or religion. You know, the two things that affect every... Politics affects everything in our life from before we're born to after we die. Every single step of the way is politics. Religion affects everything else in our, in our eternal lives, the two most important things in our lives. And yet it's considered impolite to talk about it. So if we, if we break down that stigma and start peacefully assembling and having conversations again 
we have the ability to share ideas similar to what they did in, in Poland with the Solidarity Movement. I mean, it was all in people's houses and backyards. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my, one of my, uh, my great-great-grandfather, he was, he was one of the men who burned his guns. In, 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 he wouldn't fight for the Tsar. And he was sentenced to hard labor in Siberia. And he, didn't, he wasn't released until, I think the Tsar had a son. He was so happy he released all the prisoners, whatever. Anyway, he came to Canada... And his, uh, his stand against tyranny didn't stop here. He was issuing birth certificates and legal documents to people that the government said were second-class citizens that couldn't have them back then. You know? And it, it wasn't the media that changed things. It was people's willingness to peacefully assemble and do what they had to do and share ideas that moved them and, and got them the rights that they were looking for at the time. And that may well be where we have to go in the future. And the bright side of that is there are places like, oh, I don't know, a little out-of-the-way cafes uh, where we love to have conversations with people and share those ideas. You mentioned in your testimony that you were arrested and that you were detained for, I think it was three and a half days? Right. Did they handcuff you when they arrested you? Of course. Can you describe... Can you describe what your experience was in when they were detained? Were you in the remand center? Were you in a lockup? Were you in general population? No, they left me in the drunk tank for three days. Can you describe that room for me, please? Well, it's horrible. I mean, well, th there is a silver lining, and I'll talk, to, uh, talk about that in a minute. Um, uh, the drunk tank is it's a concrete room with a concrete bed, a stainless steel toilet, which is also the sink, which is also where you get your drinking water from, the lights are on 24 hours a day. It's not a pleasant place to be. But they gave me a book, and I hadn't read a book in about two years, so that was nice. And uh, the concrete bed straightened out my back, and I felt better when I got out. So there was a silver lining there, and I suppose if we're going to go through those things, we have to be able to find the silver linings in every tribulation. Um, I, I was surprised to be stuck in the drunk tank for that long, because generally they, leave, they bring you there, and then they move you to remand, and you have a bed and whatever, but... Uh, yeah, it wasn't pleasant. Were you violent? How so? I'm just asking if you were in handcuffs. Did they put you in handcuffs because you were at risk of being violent? No, no. I, they, I, they put me in handcuffs because they were scared of what I would do with my hands. But I think maybe next time they should probably muzzle me because I, my words are a lot more dangerous than what my hands will do. My, my last question has to do with your community of 500 or 520 people. What was their general impression? Were they, were they supportive? Were they unsupportive? Was there a mixture? What was the general consensus there in the community about what you were doing because you were bringing attention to this small rural community? Well, it was mixed. In the beginning, uh, you know, it was exciting for most people, I think. There were, of course, those who had completely succumbed to fear, and they saw me as a vector of disease that had to be avoided as all, at all costs because what, of what they were being told. Um, in the end, after the dust settled, I think the communities probably split 50-50. Half seemed to be supportive and, and agree with the position I took, and half don't. And probably the, the line there is the same as it would be provincially or nationally. Like, there's, we're divided, right? And... And uh, we've been told that 
I mean, we heard things like, this is a problem of the unvaccinated. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel David Redmond, he, he mentioned yesterday that the leadership in this province and in this country, they did things that they should never do. They used fear as a tactic. And that fear has caused the division that we're seeing in towns like mine and in the province of Alberta and across the nation. You know, I'm sorry, I, that was going to be my last question, but you mentioned um, terms and attitudes toward you which were quite hateful. What was the source of that? Where, where did, where did, why, why did people think that? Why were they, in your opinion, what, where, what was feeding that in people? In my very humble opinion, because I'm not a psychiatrist, um, there's a lot of reasons why people would not like me. Number one, I'm not likable. Uh, number two, during this whole thing, a lot of people stood up and they supported me. As a matter of fact, they supported me to the point where they helped me purchase the restaurant to remove the mechanism Alberta Health Services was trying to use to force me to stop protesting. They helped me buy it so that that person was out of the equation. Some people didn't like that. They, they, they see me getting something that they don't believe I deserve and they hate me for it. Uh, other people legitimately believe the narrative in that I should have just followed the rules and done everything and protected everybody and forced people to uh, take a job they didn't want to eat a hamburger in my restaurant, which I wouldn't do, by the way. Uh, my restaurant was open by then, and we were serving food again. I got my licenses back, and uh, the government decided they were going to bring in that Vax passport. I shut down my dining room because I was under bail conditions that said I had to follow the public health orders. And I wouldn't do it. I would never ask somebody for their papers so that I could pour them a coffee. So I had to shut down my restaurant for that. And, you know, pe there are people, they don't understand that. They, some people saw that as an inconvenience. Oh, Chris, why wouldn't you just allow me to show you my Vax passport so I can have a coffee here? And th the answer is because it's not right. Why would you not follow the, these, this part of the rules? You can be open, just only serve this select group of elite people that did what the government want. Because it's not right. I'm not going to put my ability or potential to earn money over my principles like that. And, and people didn't understand that. And so, um, you know, they, they hate me for it. As a matter of fact, uh, my friend Carrie over there and I, we, we <laughs> of all the things that could have happened to a guy that owns the Whistle Stop Cafe, we got hit by a train. Can you believe that? We got hit by a train. And on social media, the outpouring of concern was amazing. Like, it was just, people were legitimately concerned for us and, and asking all the time how we're doing. But there were some people that said things like, I was so happy when I heard that. It's such a shame that we're not, that the you two free dumbers didn't die. And that hit me like a freight train. That The idea that in this country where we're supposed to be free to disagree on certain issues, and our leadership is supposed to foster good relations between us, right? They're not supposed to divide us with fear. That we've come to a point where one side actually wants the other side to die because they don't have the same opinions. And it's no different in my town. Thank you. You alluded to the cost of court and what it is, what it costs for an ordinary citizen to um, fight against these kinds of government abuses. 
And, and I believe that there's a lot of people in this country who believe the same thing, that they'd like to fight on principle through the court system, but it's just unattainable or they will lose all their assets. What would you suggest in terms of recommendations? And yes, I'm aware that you're still in court, but what recommendations could you make just from your own perspective that might make court more accessible to ordinary Canadians when they feel that they've been abused by government authorities? Short of finding an organization that will help you and crowdfund, I, I really don't I really don't have any any ideas. I mean, even a lawyer will tell their clients not to fight on principle because it's costly, it rarely wins, and in the end, you lose everything and you gain nothing. So standing on principle oftentimes means that you end up with nothing. And one of the things that I, I don't talk about too much, but I'll mention it now, is... Part of the decision-making process for me to engage in, pro in, in protest, to, to, to use my charter right to protest, um, one of the decision-making process parts was that I had to ask myself, what am I willing to lose because it's very likely that I'll lose everything fighting the government. I've watched it happen around me numerous times. We've all seen it. And... If you don't make peace with the reality that you will very likely lose the things that you find that you hold dear, like your property, for instance, um, you can't take on that kind of fight. So I had to very quickly have an internal conversation with myself and, and, and accept the fact that I would very likely lose the things that I'd worked my life for. So, you know, short, short of doing that and being okay with the negative outcome in that regard um, and finding an organization that will help you with legal costs, there's really nothing else you can do that I'm aware of. Thank you very much. Chris, there being no further questions on behalf of the National Citizens' Inquiry, we sincerely thank you for coming and sharing with us today. Well, what do you say after watching all of that? And uh, I'm manning the machine here. Just give me a second here. I wanted to actually show one of the comments here that our friend Stone Lee said, watch the whole inquiry live, and this was worth watching twice. Thanks, Carrie. And it, it's true. I, I have to admit, I did not watch the entire inquiry, but... Um, if you go back on Rumble, I'm just going to rattle off a few names here. Of uh, And if you catch them, great. If not, I'll probably post in the comments. I was just scribbling. But the uh, testimonies that kind of stand out for me that maybe people should go back and, and watch in their entirety or maybe even just get clippets and, and keep them in your mind uh, is when uh, Lieutenant... Colonel David Redmond was on and he was talking about the Emergencies Act and, and how the list of um, protocols was done, uh, written up in binders. And I've probably told the story many times in which I was uh, 
working for a um, uh, a contractor, a military contractor, and we actually had a meeting with uh, David Redman. I forget what I think he was a major at the time. Doesn't matter. It's a few years ago. And he was tasked with these binders of uh, emergencies. And they were everything from floods to aliens to whatever. Hey, I wonder if we could pull that alien book out. Um, and in there, there were so many different things that they came up with with ways to deal with all this. And, uh, and of course, David Redmond basically said uh, in a nutshell is to isolate the people that were most at risk and the rest of the world continues on. And that didn't happen. So um, that's one you should go back and take a look at. Uh, the other one was Laura Jeffrey, who is a funeral home director. Uh, that was another good one. And she talked about what they found inside people that uh, were vaccinated. Uh, of course, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm not even sure if I need to get into who they are. Uh, Dr. Laura Braden, Derek, Dr. Eric Payne, um, uh, Greg Hill from Free to Fly, uh, Pastor James Coates, uh, Dr. Charles Hoff, uh, BC uh, pediatrician or a family physician, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, who's an economist, and uh, of course our own very uh, own uh, Jeff Rath, who's part of uh, APP. They all had excellent testimonies, and uh, again, I would uh, recommend that if you can and have the time to do it uh, unless I happen to force it on you and say, you got to listen to this. And uh, honestly, I am so thankful that um, we had over 200 people watching today. Like I really thought, you know what, this is like watching reruns, but you know what, when you watch reruns of friends over and over and over again, you still get enjoyment of them. My, my, my favorite is three's company, but that's just, that's just me. I could watch those in uh, day in and day out. Uh, but when you're watching something as compelling as uh, Chris's testimony or any anybody else's, um, it's good to be reminded of exactly what they said and when they said it. So I, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, I'm not going to make this too much longer. I'm going to try and uh, cap it out in about another 10 minutes and uh, maybe you can get out and enjoy the, the rest of the sunshine here. Um, but there were, there were a handful of questions and comments that I thought I would bring up here. Uh, right away, there was, uh, have you heard how Sheila Annette Lewis is doing? And so while we were doing that, actually, I'm going to uh, add this onto the screen here. Oh, boy, I should have had this set up. That's okay. I'll do it right now. And um, so I did go back and look at look up what had happened. And uh, it looked like on July 18th, there was a settlement um, between, uh, of course, if you don't remember Sheila, she, uh, she was diagnosed with, uh, with basically an incurable disease and she needed a transplant and, uh, they, the Canadian government, Alberta government wouldn't let her have that because she was unvaccinated. So it was in the courts and Western standard did a, uh, post on it. Uh, rebel news did it as well. Also on July 18th. And if anybody remembers, exactly what happened in August. Something else happened in August with her case. And I actually was looking for it and I can't find it, but I'm not sure if it was then denied or maybe she was denied in the US to get it. So they needed, I think it was 500,000 or 600,000, uh, 500,000 US. So what's that? Like 
$2 billion Canadian. I'm kidding. Probably like uh, $800,000 or, or $700 and change. Um, and I went back and saw that they actually had a couple of uh, fundraising um, kind of give, send, go. This one's fundraiser, uh, 7800 And the give, send, go went up to uh, 124000 uh, but that those are the only two that I could find. So I thought I would just give you an update on that. And if anybody else any knows any more, that would be great to that, uh, to let me know. And uh, let's close this again. And I'm just going to show them in in order of the the conversation because I think that's important. Uh, I thought we were supposed to. I thought we were supposed to be the government, and politicians worked for us. I'm so disappointed in the lawyers who didn't stand up. I have to agree with you. Um, even some of the lawyers that I've talked to, uh, they do seem to be in it for themselves. And um, and I'm not going to really get into a lot of other conversation about that because there are certain lawyers that I know that are working on certain things. And uh, all I can say is that, yeah, we the people, we are we should be the government and we are the ones that should be holding the government accountable. So if you don't have your local MLA or your MP or your city councilor on speed dial, I would suggest that you do um, make them annoyed with you. And I've probably told the story a few times about my local MLA who used to be Jason Luan and how much I despised him and uh, didn't have very good conversations with him. And in the end he was voted out. So there's kind of a win but it was brought in through uh, the, the MLA that replaced him is with the NDP. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta weigh how all that works out. So um, next up we got, I loved how, when you had to read that insane rhetoric before speaking, everyone made so much noise it drowned it out. So I tried to paste it into the comments and it looked like it broke apart, but I wanted to give you the, uh, the actual speech in which Chris would have to say, and uh, let's see if I can make this just a little bit bigger for you guys. So basically, whenever Chris had to go and uh, speak in a public setting, whether or not it was a, a, a protest, although he couldn't really go to a protest, but in a public setting, he had to say, this is Chris, I am also aware that the views I am expressing to you on this occasion may not be views held by the majority of medical experts in Alberta. While I may disagree with them, I can't even read the rest of this. It's just utter garbage. So what we ended up doing is we ended up chanting and screaming at the top of our lungs so that Chris, even though he was speaking into a microphone and talking like this loud, nobody could hear him. And then at the end, he would kind of put up his hands and that was it. I really only saw him do that maybe five or six times before that was dropped. But it just goes to show the the sheer ridiculousness of all of this going on at the time. So I wanted to show that. Um, next up here, Gail says, I stood behind Chris 100%. I donated what I could afford. I am a senior, but still works seven days a week and cannot visit the cafe, although I very much wanted to. God bless Chris Scott. Gail, if you can, can you send me a private message? And I'm going to just put my email up on here. Can you send me a private message to carry it with stoptruckstop.ca? I've got a little bit of a surprise for you. 
So that's all I'm going to say about that right at the time. And uh, we will talk a little bit more about that after. So thank you again, Gail. Make sure that she has time to write that down. Carrie at whistlestoptruckstop.ca. Now I will continue on. Brenda says, we were brainwashed in school to believe that we were the government with employees basically working for us. Then we found out during this time how twisted around it all is. I'm old and I remember. I'm old and I remember too. And uh, exactly. This is, this is what the school system is telling us. And this is what the school system is telling our current kids that are in there. And um, they are also telling them a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, stuff that I am not happy with. But because it's being told by authority, the kids are believing it. So again, I've already said, make sure you got your MLA or MP on speed dial. Maybe get your school trustee or your school principal as well. And, and a lot, it's, it's funny how life goes on because I've got two daughters. You know, they went to uh, elementary, middle school and high school. Bang, they were done in 12 years. Well, actually, I guess in total span, it's 14 years because there's two years difference apart. That is the only part that I really knew what was going on in school. And even with that, I'm not even sure if I actually knew what was going on in school. After that, not a clue. And now I've got daughters that are in university. And again, it's not like they call me up and say, guess what I learned in university? Although my younger daughter is very proud. She's going in for dentistry. So she sends me pictures of all the teeth and stuff that she works on. But she doesn't really talk about the politics that are going on in there. And because they're adults and they, you know, they basically just, yeah, professors know exactly what they're talking about. So I'm just going to say yes and nod my head. And that is wrong. And if anything, in schools, we should be questioning what is being uh, told to us. And, and, you know, how hard would it be to just say, well, I question that. And then chances are, you know, if you're questioning that, you got to go back to the principal's office or you got to go to the dean's office. I don't even know if that would actually happen in university, but... I think that's uh, that's something that we should be looking at is is definitely what's going on in school, and um, and actually we're, we're going to have a, a, a fine lady. Her name is Tasha Fishman, and uh, she runs a website called Unschooling Our Kids. She's going to be on our webinar in September. I believe it's September thirteenth, but we're going to try and organize this better in September and October and actually give you a list of, uh, of people who are going to be coming in and talking. So I think that would be a, a good one for you guys to be watching. And Brenda also said, I had someone from Venezuela ask why we can't see what's coming. So if you're not up on Venezuela, Venezuela was one of the most richest, uh, prosperous places on the planet. And then until it wasn't. And it's basically the whole idea behind communism and, uh, and and what happened with uh, resources and who ended up owning them and what ended up happening to the money, the currency there was basically worthless. It, it could very well be coming here. The difference, I think, is that because we've seen it already in somewhere else, we can actually try to prevent what's going on. I think the Venezuelans didn't really have that uh, foresight. They also didn't have the internet. Right. So all you, imagine how much our lives have changed for the better and for the worse, having Internet and being able to talk to people, have these sorts of conversations. Otherwise, I would just be broadcasting on a TV on what three channels 
and maybe you'd get them or maybe if uh, yeah that's that's probably all you would get versus here there are so many podcasts there's so much so much stuff going on so many things to learn so many people to talk to so i think we have a little bit of a leg up on uh, on what can happen with venezuela venezuela oh another one by brendan i think all our provincial politicians should have to watch these testimonials absolutely the testimonials from the nci uh national citizens inquiry um excuse me they absolutely should watch them and um I don't know if you know, but I don't think the Alberta legislature goes back in until October. Yeah, we had an election and they immediately went on vacation. So they're not back until October. Now, granted, they're doing some stuff. They're probably doing parades and doing stampedes, uh, carnivals and whatever, that sort of thing. And maybe getting out in front of people. But I think part of their job should be to go back through and watch these testimonials. Um, each day was probably eight hours of testimonials, you know, break it up into a couple. Anyways, what do I know? Make some, uh, make some recommendations to your MLAs, to your MPs, etc. And, uh, here's another one by Brenda, uh, exactly have conversations. Why do you think they tried to shut down churches to keep us from talking to each other? And I think that's what we were talking about in terms of, uh, uh, people getting together, either just sitting around a cafe or in churches they really just wanted to stay home and watch Netflix. So maybe we should have all bought Netflix stock at the time. I missed that. I missed that opportunity. Anyways, that's uh, very true. Uh, and of course, what's happened with all the um, the pastors and 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 what about what about the churches that actually didn't do anything? I would uh, question what they were doing. And, and as it has, it's come out that the federal government did give a, a, a subsidy or some money to certain groups. They, they give them to schools to, to basically promote uh, vaccination. They probably gave them to church churches as well. Um, any of these groups would have received some money in order for them to promote vaccination. So the, the churches that didn't speak up probably signed a document that said we will abide by you give us our fifty thousand dollars or whatever amount it is so all that was coming out through the nci as well too so i can't remember exactly where i saw it I'm, i it might have been in james coates's uh testimony i'm not sure and finally the last one that i will say is chris's testimony is chilling but quite true the so-called health bureaucrats are power mad dictators Yes, they are, including the uh, uh, chief medical officers of health for all the provinces and, uh, and as well as the bureaucrats that agreed. And basically, that was kind of the whole thing with, in Alberta with uh, Dina Hinshaw being the uh, CMOH orders uh, declared illegal. I forget the actual legal ease. It's in Latin and I don't read Latin. But basically, that's what it was, was uh, they were illegal. And, uh, and that was thanks to the Ingram case. And uh, Rebecca Ingram had a celebration last Wednesday. And unfortunately, I was unable to attend because guess what I do on Wednesdays? <laughs> I try to educate you guys. So yes, so sadly, I was unable to do that. But uh, I will be seeing Rebecca and uh, the group of friends that uh, I made through her and around her very, very soon. So hopefully that will be um coming up um and with that i think that's all i need to say we uh again we do this every wednesday um oh there are some other comments sorry for whatever reason when i'm actually looking through this it uh the the comments all come in at once when i'm opened up another window 
So there you go. There you go. Uh, what will happen to Dina Hinshaw? Um, good question. I don't know exactly what's going to happen to Dina Hinshaw. It sounded like she was hired and fired almost on the same day back into Alberta, which is ridiculous. So, yeah, let's just see uh, what uh, ends up happening with that. So, uh, But the one last thing I did want to say, so, of course, we just watched Chris's testimony and what was going on with the Whistle Stop Cafe and, um, and uh, you know, with the RCMP and the Alberta Health Services, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to let you guys know that Chris Scott's next court date is August 28th at the Red Deer Courthouse. It, usually it starts at 9 or maybe at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be there. Obviously, Chris will be there. Jess will be there. Um, and, and hopefully we can have like a few hundred people there. That would be amazing. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, maybe it'll just continue on as normal. Maybe they will say something about the CMOH order. Maybe they will twist it so that it actually doesn't have anything to do with the CMOH order, although that seems to be what the entire case is based on, the CMOH order. Ah, all that. So, and, and, of course, we always wrap this up by saying, how does this affect APP and what can change if, if APP was its own sovereign uh, or independent or whatever you your your whatever is close to your heart in terms of what APP can be doing uh, for Alberta prosperity, and um, it really just comes down to we have to hold governments accountable. Accountable. We have to hold judges accountable. We have to hold uh, the the RCMP accountable. Uh, we know that uh, there, one way that we could do that would be to make our own uh, police force or uh, something to that effect. Uh, we have to make uh, make our own money and resources accountable. Um, I just kind of threw that in because that's kind of what we want we want to do anyways. Is <laughs> make things everything's got to be accountable. We and the only way that we would be able to do that would be to be uh, our have our own government that's not influenced or 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 put in a crappy position from the uh, federal government. So I think that's probably all I'm going to say. Um, Stone Lee. <laughs> uh, I know. Or a, a public hanging or a public lynching. I'm not going to put that. Anyways, with that, I'm going to thank you guys for uh, sticking around for, uh, for a, a kind of a special different presentation, a rerun presentation. Uh, hopefully we will have other guests on next week again, and uh, we're going to try and post these things going forward. And by all means, if you've got ideas for, for guests, uh, you can send them directly to me. Actually, I've got my own APP address, but uh, it's probably just easier to send it to me at carryatwhistlestoptruckstop.ca. We do have a, a, a crew of people, Walters in the background. He, uh, he helps uh, basically everything that you can't see in terms of this he's doing in the background. So it's great to have Walter involved. And, uh, and we do have an operational um, group that, uh, that meets every Monday with APP stuff. Some of it's just financial and some of it has to do with politics and, and who's talking to who and who's not talking to who, but we also want to have chapter events. We want to have big events. We need volunteers for that. So again, ask yourself how to get involved and uh, here's the here's the plug we always do: get together, working together for Alberta's freedom and prosperity. Go to the AlbertaProsperityProject.com and get involved that way. Otherwise, uh, send me a message, 
and because uh, I don't get any email at all. <laughs> oh, I get email. That's all good. And with that, I wish you guys an amazing Wednesday night. Last last comments here. Yes. There you go. Most questions that have been asked about APP is more along the lines of everyday life questions, education, healthcare, and I refer them to the site. There is uh, and last one is, has there been any other discussions with uh, Daniel Smith? Um, not quite sure where that's alluding to. Uh, discussions in terms of, Kevin, just send me a message. Maybe we can talk about that. I don't think there's anything... Uh, I don't think there has been any other discussions. I don't think uh, Dr. Modri's talked to uh, Danielle. I don't think uh, Chris has talked to Danielle. Um, certainly not over the summer. Uh, I was actually hoping to see her at the Strathmore Stampede, but I never did get a chance to see that. So there you go. With that, I'm going to wish you guys an amazing Wednesday night. And I'm going to do this little webinar countdown again. And uh, good night, everybody.